Good morning. Anyone who was here for the earlier service knows I have a tough act to follow, but I'll do my best. This is Psalm 139, the message. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there, then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? to be out of your sight. If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact, darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Oh, yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Your thoughts. How rare and beautiful. God, I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count them any more than I could count the sand of the sea. Oh, let me rise in the morning and live always with you. And please, God, do away with wickedness for good. And you murderers out there, get out of here. All the men and women who belittle you, God, Infatuated with cheap God imitations? See how I hate those who hate you, God. See how I loathe all this godless arrogance. I hate it with pure, unadulterated hatred. Your enemies are my enemies. Investigate my life, O oh God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong, and then guide me on the road to eternal life. Amen, amen. Good morning, middle. What a word. God, investigate me. Try me. Search me cross-examine and test me. Get all up in my business. 
this text begins and ends with a plea from King David for God to come closer and get to know him in a deep and uninhibited way, uncovered with no holds barred. It is an earnest and beautiful request. But to me as a gay black man, this call to radical intimacy is also utterly terrifying. For you see, I, like many other gay black men, have become an expert in hiding. I spent years in the closet believing that who I was was unacceptable to the world and could be fixed if I just dated a few women or prayed hard enough. Spoiler alert, didn't work. <laughs> but even as I mustered the courage to come out, I found myself, like many of my queer black siblings, still hiding. We hide in white spaces so we won't be seen as too black, too educated, too exceptional. We dare not pose too much a threat to the delicate lie of white supremacy, for history has taught us that the consequences of being too uppity, too out of our place, can cost us our livelihoods, if not our lives. One has to only look at the history of lynching in America, from Montgomery to Ferguson to Staten Island, to see that the state is still designed to keep us in our place. We hide in straight spaces because we are, they are often not safe for queer people. We question the simplest things like, can we hold hands here? Because there's always the risk that someone will hurl a slur or a punch. We hide in queer spaces because they are often not emotionally safe spaces for people of color. White gay culture regularly co-ops black culture while dehumanizing black bodies, either by fetishizing us or altogether ignoring us. Yes, even in queer communities, white supremacy still reigns supreme. We hide in black spaces because we fear our families, friends, and churches will reject our true selves or, after we have come out, constantly police our identities by being sort of okay if we're gay, as long as we aren't too gay, too loud and proud, too affectionate with our partners, too audacious to demand our place in the institution of marriage. And I say today, ain't nobody got time for that kind of thinking. And yes, we hide from God because we are taught that who we are is a sin and we must be ashamed of our sin. We are like Adam and Eve, lusting after forbidden fruit and then hiding ourselves from our creator upon realizing our shameful nakedness. Therefore, nearly in every space we inhabit, every relationship into which we enter, we have some element of hiding, of holding back, because we have been taught that this is what we must do to survive in a world that is not made for us and for which our existence is often an accommodation, not a celebration. Therefore, this text, this call to radical intimacy is utterly terrifying. And why do we need God to search us anyway? The text goes to great lengths to describe how God knows so much about us already. They know our thoughts before we think them. We can go to the highest heights and God is there. We go to the lowest depths and God is there. Before we were formed in our mother's wombs, God knit us all together. There's nowhere we can go to escape the presence of God. They are, after all, God, like G-O-D. Anything I could do would never measure up. So why are we asking God to search us if God already knows about us and we're going to be cosmically called out for every single fault we have? What's the use in that? Perhaps we can find some clarity in the part of the chapter in which David writes, I am marvelously made, or in another translation, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And it took me years to accept this statement because I was so invested in the narrative that I, like Adam and Eve, had my own shame and metaphorical nakedness to cover up. But the text is clear. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Without qualifications or caveats. 
not in spite of any part of my identity, but because of every part of my identity. Every part of me has purpose. Black, gay, male, conforming, non-conforming, the impatient parts, the petty parts, the corny sense of humor parts, the perfectionist parts, and yes, the letting go of perfectionism parts. And I don't know what parts of you you think are incompatible with the divine, but I want you to reflect on them briefly. And then instead of pushing them away, pull them close to you because God put them there. God stitched them into who you are for a reason. Yes, indeed, God made me. God made you who you are. When I acknowledge that I am just the way God intended me to be, then suddenly the idea of being searched by God no longer feels threatening. For it is not an opportunity for God to judge my imperfections, but rather an act of love, vulnerability, and radical intimacy between creator and creation. Yes. Giving God, from whom I can hide absolutely nothing, permission to speak truth to me. I can hide from others. I can choose which parts I'm going to share. I can edit and pivot as the situation requires, but I can't hide from God. And when I, when we, are open to building a relationship with that level of vulnerability and radical intimacy, we open ourselves up to the true transformative power of God. And yes, God may occasionally have, or frequently have in my case, some corrective feedback. <laughs> but maybe on the whole, God just delights in my presence the way I delight in theirs. Maybe like loving parents, God just wants to spend time searching me and getting to know me, laughing at my corny jokes, celebrating the small wins, picking me up when I fall. Because although God made me, perhaps God has much to learn from me the same way I have much to learn from God. The same way parents teach their children and are also taught by their children. Going back to the story of Adam and Eve, I am reminded that even before Adam and Eve believed the lie of their inadequacy and ate the fruit from the tree to become God-like, they were already God-liked. I'll say that again. They were already God-liked. God already liked and loved them just as they were. The creation story tells us that God had a relationship with them. God came down in the cool of the day just to be with them. They were enough for God just the way they were. And so too are we enough for God just the way we are. God, investigate me. Try me. Search me. Cross-examine and test me. Get all up in my business. Let's be vulnerable and radically intimate. Thank you, and well done, my brother Ivan, yes. I titled this sermon, uh, To See Me Is To Love Me. It actually took me a while to connect with the text. Uh, at first, I think it was my Catholic guilt kind of rising up inside me. This idea that God was watching my every action growing up, that had huge impact on me as an adolescent and how I connected with my family and my culture growing up as a gay Puerto Rican uh, man in Philadelphia. But upon further reflection of this text that Reverend Jackie chose, I began to see divinity in the words. 
They spoke to me in some beautiful ways. They also started to feel, I'll say frankly, a little bit creepy. <laughs> so here's a particular part that calls out to me. I'm an open book to you, even from a distance. You know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. Hmm, yeah, that's just a little <laughs> bit creepy. So I... I think about my upbringing because, you see, I'm the youngest of 45 first-generation cousin, cousins that migrated from Puerto Rico to live in Philadelphia. Uh, and, and we watched over each other. That's just what we did, right? What I experienced as a young man in this village might be equivalent of the in-real-life version of the tech-enabled future that we live in today. Today, we're living in a burgeoning economy that's based on surveillance, a surveillance economy. Not only is God watching, but seemingly God-like figures are watching too, with our phones, on social media. We're all being watched. And to what end? So this reflection now has me questioning so much about this moment in history. If it is our time, our moment, our calling to be part of the resistance, then it might be important for us to start asking questions like, what does it mean to be seen? What does it mean to be seen by God? And what does it mean to see like God sees? Let me tackle the first one through a personal antidote. What does it mean to be seen? Being of Puerto Rican heritage and growing up, my mom's mom, my abuela santa, meaning saint, was like a second mother to me. Abuela had nine children, eight girls, one boy. She lived a hard life, made more difficult by an abusive partner who was an alcoholic. My grandmother lived to share many stories with me about the family, and she enjoyed reminiscing. But there was one story she never quite got to tell me fully. You see, being curious about her life and ancestry, I went on to Ancestry.com after asking her, you know, tell me your parents' names. And there in the, seconds, in the census records, I saw some fascinating things. First, a change in her racial identity across decennial census. 1920, white. 1930, black. 1940, mulatto. The real surprise, though, was that my grandmother had a sister. She was about 18 years older, uh, who no one had ever talked about. This prompted me to ask her. Her parents had uh, died before Abuela had turned nine years old. So that means her sister was 27. So I said, Abuela, why, after your parents had passed, did you not go on to live with your sister? How did you end up with my grandfather at the age of 14? I asked her these questions, but quite frankly, I was disappointed by the response. She really did not answer them fully. But she did say one thing, that she fell in love with my grandfather. And that was that. So in my case, census records answered some questions, raised some questions, and it really just left me unsatisfied. But I feel that it was in the non-telling of Abuela's story that I saw her differently. Our family trauma might actually be deeper than I had imagined. Yet in what felt like an instant, I felt as though I saw her whole self for the first time. So what does it mean to be seen by God? At the age of 25, I came out to my parents. What was personally significant for me was that in this moment, um, I had just taken a trip to Puerto Rico back in 2001. And in search of connection 
with other gay Puerto Rican men, I encountered machismo, an odd mix of self-hate and gender stereotypes with the L within the LGBTQ community in San Juan. There, I felt like an outsider. Upon returning home to Philadelphia, I was determined not to succumb to life in a gay ghetto, marginalized by my own people. No matter what the repercussions of my coming out, I did not want to live that life. This was a moment of divine intervention for me. My parents cried when I told them I was gay. I did not cry. And it was in my resolution that my mother saw me fully in a new light, so much so that within weeks, my parents had joined PFLAG, or Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. And so it's in the eyes of my parents, I saw God looking back at me. And what they saw was good. They loved me. And their son, they could only choose to love. I never felt rejected by them, and I thank God for that. Finally, what does it mean to see like God sees? HIV AIDS, or gay cancer, as it was commonly referred to at the time in the 1980s, took so many countless souls. We lost a generation of activists. 100,000 people in New York alone succumbed to the AIDS epidemic in the 80s and 90s. That was 25% of the deaths across the nation at the time. Many souls were laid to rest in a potter's field on Hart Island in the Bronx, and in a New York Times article, I stopped in my tra tracks on a quote by a visual artist, Melinda Hunt, with a mission to create a searchable database of the people who were buried there. And she says, part of the history of the AIDS epidemic is buried on Hart Island. And it's the unknown part. Even many AIDS experts and doctors, nurses, hospital administrators, and advocates with key roles during that time um, do not know much about the victims on the island. Who were they, and why did they end up there? To me, to see like Miss Hunt sees, I think, is to see like God sees. It means looking to the margins of the overlooked souls that walked and still walk on this earth. To seek out untold stories is an act of dignity. It means not glossing over history. It means valuing every life, and believing that each precious life has an impact on someone, if not all of us. Because as my mom used to say, we are all connected. Seeing like God sees means seeing all of humanity. But I must say, you cannot see me and not see that HIV-AIDS infection rates are growing at unprecedented rates among Black and Latinx communities while we celebrate marriage equality but lack access to affordable health care and preventative resources. You cannot, you cannot see me and not see the growing number of LGBTQ asylum seekers coming to the United States being placed in concentration camps alongside our brothers and sisters who have the human right, the human right to a better life. You cannot see me and not see and know that 40% of homeless youth here in New York City are here because they have been rejected by their families for being gay, lesbian, transgender, or gender nonconforming. You cannot see me and not see 
how our modern economy, the tech-based surveillance economy, builds wealth for less than 1% on the bits and bytes and stories of black, brown, and LGBTQIA creators all, that, do not, that do not reap the benefits, that do not reap fully the benefits. These are the untold stories we must tell. Seeing that we are all connected, this is what it means to see like God sees. And I believe this place, Middle Church, is ground zero for our awakening. Amen. Jackie asked me to end with a call to action. And so I just want to share a brief anecdote about in 2020, the next decennial census will go online. And we know that historically, communities of color have been undercounted. The Supreme Court of the United States will soon rule on the inclusion of the citizenship question. We estimate that including that question will not only lead to undercounting six and a half million people, largely immigrant communities, undocumented people, people of color who have the right to be counted, but also possibly overestimate or double count the number of white identifying people in this country to favor how $800 billion of congressional funding is appropriated, as well as to determine redistricting and representation in Congress over the next decade, over the next decade. I see census as a tool for acknowledging the dignity of every living being within our borders. And we must show love and stand in solidarity with immigrant, immigrant rights groups to ensure a complete and accurate count. To see is to love. And here at Middle, I know that we have the know-how to affect what happens next, because we believe that love transforms. May these words be received by you and with the blessings of the God. <laughs> they are so dope, I love it. Um, so during our feedback, Jackie encouraged me to slow down um, but brunch reservations waits for no one, so no promises. <laughs> Hashtag facts. All right, um, I'm absolutely blown away by this love letter to God. Consider this like an ancient version of um, a response to God's OK Cupid profile. Here we find the psalmist responding to all the promises God made about who God wants to be in their life and how deep God's commitment is. If we rise to heaven, there God is. If we lay down in hell, God is there too. See, God is calling on all of us to rest in knowing that no matter where we find ourselves, God will always lovingly meet us there. And this pronouncement of love, it feels amazing. However, for many of us, this also requires us to penetrate years of stuff. Stuff that blocks our understanding of self, stuff that covers open wounds, stuff that hides the innate dopeness of who we be. See, narratives that we've been told over and over, and many we've self-imposed, you know, like broken promises that led to broken hearts, that icky family dynamic that made you hide your authentic you, news reports that attempt to erase or discount your entire being, or the lie that your body is not your own. See, I'm calling BS on all of that, and I'm choosing to stand in the gap and share a new version, a new vision, a remix, if you will. See, 
We're being called in this time to step away from the rhetoric and move closer to a revelation. You have been fearfully and wonderfully called to live a bold life according to who God has called you to be. In this text, the writer acknowledges their status as bae. They say, you are the one who put me together inside my mother's body. And I praise you because of your wonderful way you created me. Everything you do is marvelous. Of this I have no doubt. Now see, I wasn't really raised with the idea that I was part of God's plan for this world. As an openly gay black man, salvation and ministry, unfortunately, these were my dreams deferred. Two of the things that make me great were seen as a yoke or a burden that needed to be broken or prayed away. You know, see, I was raised around a bunch of folks who only knew that one version of God, you know, the one that looks like Santa Claus, but he's got muscles, holding a lightning bolt ready to strike you at the slightest misstep. I thank God for deliverance from all of that mess. <laughs> but through all of that, I was always clear that God was cool with Darren. And it's interesting that this full circle moment, I was typically drawn to this chunk of the Bible because in verses 15 and 16, the psalmist slides into God's DM and says, nothing about me is hidden from you. I was secretly woven together out of human sight, but with your own eyes, you saw my body being formed. Even before I was born, you had written in your book everything about me. So check that. Before your parents knew you, God was there. Now, honey, that's a serious commitment. But God's always been clear about their interest in us. See, God is into us so deep that every morning we're given a breath, which is a reminder of the matchless favor that we all are entitled to. The shining sun is a glimmer of the abounding grace that we're fortunate to partake in, and a gentle breeze, baby, it refreshes those tender mercies that we are promised over and over again. See, God really wants us all to get this, that as long as breath expands our chest, we have yet another chance to walk deeper into our destiny, yet another chance to get it right. The us who are marginalized, the us who are celebrated, the us who are whole, and maybe even the us who are broken. Now, we're all equal recipients of God's transformative love, and we should say thank you every chance we get. But how? Now, see, this is where your part comes in. That's up to you. Now, for me, I like to speak to people who don't think like I do so I can counter that trash narrative, you know, the one that says that LGBTQ+, it's a fad, it's a phase, or maybe even fodder for political or religious debate, or even that other lie, no, pardon me, lies that are on the line. We have to decide in this very moment, not on our watch. See, so for me, trans persons are sacred vessels, female bodies, they are not commodities to be traded on some legislative floor. Flint, Haiti, and Puerto Rico, they still need clean water. And trust and believe, black lives must matter. However, but in order for these things to come to life, we have to realize that our gifts are not about us. We are blessed, we have to make an impact in this world. See, this is with our time, talents, and treasures, so we can connect our resources to the people, places, and things that we say we want the world to look like. We say it all the time here at Middle, but it bears repeating, 
Y'all are the ones that this world has been waiting for, and it's time for us to get off our butts and move. Now, family, we're also called to live a life of abundance. In the Bible, it says, give, and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. So, for the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, part of Darren says that sounds like a margarita recipe. <laughs> but my heart knows in truth it's saying, give what you have when you can in ways that make sense for you. We're all called to be the person that you wish your 15-year-old self could have looked up to. Be the person that speaks life into those negative spaces that we all run into. Be the person that changes the world for people who don't live on your block. All whilst walking with a God who will always swipe right on you. See, we get to... <laughs> Hashtag wolf. Um, <laughs> see, we get to decide what that abundance looks like. Now, for me, that means life, peace, joy, freedom, bottomless brunch, and love. What about you? <laughs>